Welcome to Overflowing Bookshelves, a podcast for people who love the written word. Could you spend hours browsing through a bookstore? Is your happy place curled up under a blanket with a good book, or perhaps writing a story of your own? Are you constantly adding to your to-be-read list, even though your bookshelves are already overflowing? If so, this podcast is for you. Tune in to hear authentic conversations with published authors about their creative processes, paths to publication, and advice for living your most fruitful and inspired life. I'm your host, Dallas Woodburn, and I am absolutely delighted that you are here with us today. I am the author of the short story collection, Woman Running Late in a Dress, and the YA novel, The Best Week That Never Happened. I'm also a professional book coach, and I am passionate about helping people give birth to their own unique stories. You can connect with me at my website, dallaswoodburnauthor.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at dallaswoodburnauthor. Without further ado, let's dive into today's interview. Shantli Sekaran's most recent novel, The Samosa Rebellion, was written for 8 to 13-year-olds, but it's hopefully the kind of book adults can get into too. Her most recent adult novel, Lucky Boy, was named an Indie Next Great Read and an NPR Best Book of 2017. Her writing has also appeared in the New York Times, Salon.com, LA Review of Books, and Huffington Post. When she's not writing books, she writes for television on the staff of NBC medical drama, New Amsterdam. Shanti lives in Berkeley with her family and a cat named Frog. It was really delightful to talk with Shanti about her writing process for books for young readers, books for adults, and also writing for television. So I know you're going to get a lot out of today's episode of Overflowing Bookshelves. And just a reminder that if you are a Patreon subscriber, you get access to bonus content like an excerpt of Shanti's book that she reads herself and also a writing prompt from her for this week's bonus content. So if you're interested in being a Patreon supporter, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Dallas Woodburn. So enjoy today's episode. Excited to introduce you to Shanti. Welcome to the podcast, Shanti. I'm so happy to have you on here. Thank you, Dallas. It's great to be here. Yes. Well, I, as I was saying before we hit record, I loved both of your novels. So your adult novel, Lucky Boy, and also your most recent novel, The Samosa Rebellion. I just devoured it. Um, such a fan of your work and delighted to have you on here. And I thought just to kick us off, maybe you could tell us a little bit about just your journey as a writer. Um, and if you want to go into a little bit, um, we can talk more in depth, but making the leap from writing for adults to um, writing for kids is really interesting too. Yeah. So I started writing um, pretty much just out of college. And my first published book happened in 2000, 2008, I think. Um, that was called The Prayer Room. And then my next book was Lucky Boy, which is probably the one that you've that's, read. Yeah. That's the first one I read yeah. of yours. Yeah. So those are my two books that are that are now out in the world. And um, I've always written fiction. When, when it comes to full, like, long, long form. I've always written fiction and then I have some essays and stuff out there. Um, but I'm really a fiction writer at heart. And I now actually, my day job, which I really love is, is writing for television. 
Um, I write for a, a show called New Amsterdam. It's a medical drama on NBC. Um, so that's sort of, that's my writing life. And I started the Samosa Rebellion in 2019. And it was really my first attempt at um, writing for children. And a big reason I started it was that I was really struggling with the adult novel that I was trying to write. I just wasn't feeling it. I had, I had a good idea, but it was very like, it seemed to be all concept and no story. Mm. Um, so I was trying to get back to my roots, trying to just get back to the simple act of storytelling. And I thought, okay, let me put this away for a while. And I've been toying with the idea of writing for kids. I'm going to write a kid's book or start writing a kid's book, give myself like three months to see if I like it and go from there. Um, I felt like with a children's novel, you, you really just get back to the roots of storytelling. I mean, kids don't care about all the fluff. They don't care about the, the subtext and um, you don't have to like worry about all these conceptual layers. Kids, as I understand them, and I have two of them, um, they, they love story. They love characters. They love, you know, when exciting things happen, it's, it, it gets you back to the very elements of storytelling. So I started with that and I, uh, I really loved it. It felt like a very pure experience in storytelling. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love how you describe that and getting back to your roots. And did you feel like, um, I mean, thinking about your children, but also was there any sort of sense of getting back to yourself as a child or as, you know, as a younger person in the writing process? Yeah, to some extent I had to, um, I did think about, you know, what I, as a reader would love, what, what would excite me as a kid. Um, I also thought about myself as a kid who was an Indian American and saw like nothing around me that reflected who I was or what my family was like. Um, so that was a big part of it. And just remembering what it was like to be a kid in um, a country that wasn't India with Indian parents mm-hmm. and Indian grandparents around. Mm-hmm. So um, in that sense, I really got back to myself. Uh, but really, I, my my immediate audience were my two kids, and I would read this to them as I wrote it every night. Oh, can you tell me more about that? That's so yeah. fascinating. I love that. Yeah. So it kind of became, my kids at the time were around 11 and uh, six. And so this kind of became their bedtime stories. Um, I would read whatever little section I had, you know, I would, I would, space it out to, to make it last on, on the days when I hadn't written much. And I was actually kind of apprehensive of their reactions. Cause my older son, you know, he was at that age, he was 11. He's at that age where he would, where he would just tell you what he thought. Like really he, honest. There was no padding. There was no sugarcoating of anything. Um, so I was a little nervous actually reading it to my kids, but his immediate reaction was really positive. He really loved it from like the first bit that I read him. And that was very encouraging. And it gave me a sense that, yeah, I haven't written for kids and I haven't read, or actually I have read a lot of kids stuff, but I haven't um, written anything but adult stuff, but this is maybe something I could do. Mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, I may be on the right track. So that was, 
really great. And I put little things in there for them. You know, they, they, my kids were obsessed with Bugatti's, the car. And, um, so I put a Bugatti in there for them, just little things to get them excited. That's so neat. Well, and that's good advice. I have a lot of writers who listen to the podcast. And if you're someone, you know, I would think someone who is writing for kids, actually at some point in the process, getting the work in front of kids, in front of your ideal age audience. I mean, that seems really important, don't you think, to the process? Yeah, it's really important. And it's really important to the, um, it's really important because it encourages you as a writer. It gives you a little, a little boost, which sometimes we need as writers. You know, even when you're writing for kids, there's self-doubt in the process. So yeah. Could yeah. you talk a little bit more about um, one common question I get from listeners of the podcast is about just the up and down journey as a writer and, you know, keeping going during some of those disappointments or rejections or the lower points or places where you feel creatively stuck. Like, do you have any thoughts or advice there on just how, you know, like sustaining a life as a writer, sustaining a career as a writer? Yeah. Um, my my journey with Lucky Boy was all ups and downs. I mean, it was it was like probably two years of rejection with that. Um, so I would, you know, I would think I had a draft. I would submit it, give it to my agent. We'd think it was ready. We'd send it out and it would get rejected. Um, so we went through like two rounds of that over a couple years. And each time I would take it back and work on it some more. I had a baby in the middle of all that. Um, so it was really like, I really had to know that I wanted that book out in the world. I was really not ready to give up. And I think as a writer, you know, you know, when you're ready to put a book away, you know, when, when you refuse to put a book away. Um, so you should really listen to yourself on that because sometimes, you know, I have a novel in my computer that, that never saw the light of day, the very first one that I wrote. Um, and I'm comfortable with that being just in my computer. Like, I don't feel like that needs to be out in the world, but with lucky boy, I knew that that, that book had something, um, that people, that people should get to experience. So, uh, advice in terms of sustaining a writerly life, give yourself the breaks that you need. You know, if you need to put away a book for six months, nine months, do that. Um, you need to feed yourself as a writer. You need to, like, like metaphorically speaking, you need to fill yourself with other great writing, with art and with rest. Um, you can't pummel a book out of yourself, you know. Um, and it's great when you're in that flow and you want to keep writing. You want to like, like, wring every drop of sweat you can out of yourself. I love those times, but there are definitely times like I'm in a time like that right now where I just need to like, let my book rest in my head. And I spent half of yesterday when I could have been working, just sitting on the sofa, reading an Irish murder mystery. Um, and that was like what I needed. It was the only thing I could have done. I love that. And that that counts as part of the process too. Like I think mm -hmm. so often, I don't know the way that writers are depicted in the media or, you know, television shows or movies or books. It's like only the time that's spent with your hands on the keyboard when you're just in the flow and the words are flowing. That's sort of what we focus on. But I think that's so true that it's all 
part of the process, even the parts that maybe don't look as productive um, as the other parts. Could you talk a little, oh wait, go on. What were you going to say? No, that's great. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to kind of related to that. I was going to ask about your, you know, your day job as a television writer and then writing your books and then also being a mom. Like, it seems like you have a lot to juggle. And then Mm -hmm. especially I've um, interviewed some other authors who have a day job that has nothing to do with writing, but Mm -hmm. with your day job, I mean, you're really writing, writing, writing. I know it's very different types of writing. I'd imagine in some ways, but it still is writing. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you wanted to just talk a little bit about that juggle um, that you have in your life. Yeah, it's definitely a juggle. Um, So my TV writing when I'm in the midst of it is all consuming. You know, it's, it's like, we're in our writer's room on Zoom right now, but in our writer's room, four days a week, all day, um, breaking story and then writing script and stuff. So when it's full time, it's full time for sure. Um, so right now I'm in the midst of that and I basically give myself one day a week. I've, I have a little office space that I go to on Saturdays. And right now that's my one day a week. Um, and then sometimes I take, you know, I'll, I'll book myself like a, a, an Airbnb in, in Nowheresville. Like it, it's usually not even a super nice place. It's just <laughs> literally an apartment somewhere. Um, just to have that isolation, just to give it a couple of days of, of hard work. Um, and then I take the hiatuses from the writer's room, from my TV job. Uh, we have several months off in the middle of the year. And those are when I really make a push. And I've practiced because I used to teach. I used to, I used to teach at um, colleges and universities. So I would take those summer months and those winter breaks to really make a big push on my book, whatever my book was. And just know that when work was in its full flow, then like when my, when my non-writing work was in its full flow, then I just couldn't get a lot of writing done. I just had to, to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I like that. And giving yourself that permission and then knowing that you have the time coming up when you will be able to be more all consumed with the novel or the fiction or whatever it is that your other project is. Yeah. And I like having that tension because it makes me feel like I get to write. It's not that I have to write. It's like, I'm going to get to write and, and work on this really soon. Oh, that's such an important distinction. I love that. Thinking of being a kid, that kind of reminds me of back, you know, as kids, those of us, I'm sure you love to write as a, as a kid, like love stories that there was that tension, right? Of um, You had your schoolwork, you had your homework, like you had your chores and then writing was maybe something that you got to do mm-hmm. like for fun and for yourself. And I think a lot of us, when we become adults or if we're trying to make a career as writing, it loses, it loses some of that aspect of something that you're getting to do. And it can feel more like just one more thing on your to-do list that you have to check off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's really, I mean, it should be fun. Your writing should be fun. If it's not fun, then, you know, if not fun, then at least, um, it should, it should be coming from some important part of you, which should be coming from inside you. Um, and not everything we write is fun. Sometimes we're writing about trauma. Sometimes we're writing about really difficult, um, experiences. So fun is maybe not the right word, but it, it should feel regenerative healing, um, or visceral, you know, it, it should be coming from somewhere in your body 
Mm-hmm. I love that. Is there a part of the process that's your favorite? Yeah, I really like, um, I like the early stages. No, I don't, I don't know if I like the early stages. I like the middle stages where, uh, things kind of come together. Things are starting to come together and you start seeing connections between different parts of the story and Mm -hmm. stuff in the outside world starts to suddenly be speaking to your story. I love that stage. Um, in terms of craft, I really like writing dialogue. That's probably one of my favorite things. It, it's, it brings characters to life in a very immediate way. Yeah. Well, and that I would think feeds in well to your work as a TV writer, because there's, mm-hmm. that's what you have to work with there as a TV mm-hmm. writer. Yeah. Although I'm learning that dialogue for TV is very different from dialogue for prose, um, because we have a lot less, we have a lot less space to write when we're writing for TV because we do have to allow for actors to interpret a line and to have their pauses and to have space around dialogue. Whereas with prose writing, you're really trying to fill a space. You're trying to sort of create a certain amount of noise with your dialogue. That is such an interesting distinction. I love that. Um, Well, this has just been so wonderful to chat with you about craft stuff and about just, you've made me feel really inspired. Um, I guess just to think about in my own writing life, like places that I can give myself more space and work in some of that rest um, Mm -hmm. to feed my own creative spirit. So I just love that. Um, Do you want to share with listeners Mm -hmm. the best ways that they can connect with you? Obviously, you know, your books are available everywhere books are sold. um, But what are the best places if someone wanted to follow you? Um, the, what, what are the, where do you hang out or what are the best places for them to find you? Yeah. So I have, um, I have an Instagram account. I'm not, I don't post a lot, but I'm definitely on it and I will see messages if people want to write to me there. Um, I also have, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I have a website, shantisakarin.com. And, um, an email, a, a writer email. It's info at Shanti Sakarin. So if people want to write me there, they can. Thank you. And as I said, I just really, really, really highly recommend Shanti's latest book, um, The Samosa Rebellion. It's beautiful. If you have an eight to 13 year old in your life, get them this book. And even if you don't get it for yourself, I loved it. Um, and I'm saving it. My daughter's almost three. <laughs> so a few more years, I know it's going to be passed by in a flash. She'll be ready to read that. So, um, and Shanti is going to, if you listeners, if you want to, um, join our Patreon for some bonus content, Shanti's going to read an excerpt from the book and share a little writing prompt with us too. So, um, we'll see you on the Patreon page for that bonus content. Thank you so much, Shanti. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Thank you so much for spending time with me today on Overflowing Bookshelves. If you enjoy this podcast, it would mean so much if you take a few minutes to write a review on iTunes or Stitcher to help other writers and book lovers find out about us. If you are kind enough to share this episode on social media, be sure to tag me at Dallas Woodburn Author on Instagram or Facebook. I love to surprise my listeners with fun prizes like free books and other literary swag. Also, I would love to hear your thoughts on the show and your ideas for future guests. 
please visit my website, dallaswoodburnauthor.com to connect with me and offer your suggestions. Until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.